right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, day 224. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so today we're still in the book of Daniel. And remember, Daniel has a pretty uh, simple, not simplistic uh, structure, right? So the first six chapters are history. The last uh, six are apocalyptic visions that my man Daniel sees. And so we we jump right back in. And remember, Daniel and his homeboys are in Babylon. They're in exile. They're from the royal family of Judah, but they're in exile. And the main thing that the author wants to get across is how do we live faithful in exile how do we live in this place that is not our home right waiting on the kingdom of god to come how do we live as god's people uh faithfully in exile all right so chapter five comes and belshazzar is on the throne he is now the new king of the world power and kingdom of babylon and this is 25 years after my man nebuchadnezzar uh was on the throne and so belshazzar as the text mentions is having a feast for him and his nobles the text says this in verse 2 under the influence of the wine so they're getting turned up belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in jerusalem so that hear this the king and his nobles wives and concubines could drink from them now he is getting turned up but he is being very disrespectful to the living god this is straight blasphemy he is using the articles that were used for the worship of the holy uh and majestic god of the universe for his own party right and these vessels that were meant for god's temple are now merely wine glasses right and so this is a slap in the face to the god of israel and to make it worse um they were praising their own foreign gods and deities as they had their legs kicked up kicking it right and so um this was uh, essentially a celebration of a victory they didn't really have right and so later this uh king sees handwriting on the wall right he sees a hand inscribing something that he can't read and everybody with him uh uh everybody that was there with him saw it as well now the text is so funny because it says that everybody there with him saw it to let us know that uh he wasn't just drunk tripping right um (laughs) and so uh (laughs) and so he summons uh daniel and daniel based on clues in the text is not feeling my guy right and he's like uh fam nebuchadnezzar was your predecessor right he was the leading power of the known world and guess what god humbled him right and made him like an animal of the field because of his pride and look what daniel says he's like but you his successor belshazzar have not humbled your heart even though you knew all of this and it's interesting that he says that because he says Basically, you're on the same wave and you should have learned from history. Listen, the old adage is uh, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Right. And God is trying to use the example from history to bring about humility in the present. And he's like, no, no, no. like you don't have to have that experience. You can learn the same lesson without paying the same price, right? And so guess what? In light of that, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. And your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So it's interesting. As quick as God can raise up a nation, he can bring it down, right? As quick as God can raise up a nation, he can bring it down. 
And I think uh, the text is uh, also good because, you know, we we tend to not uh, we tend to miss the political climate of the ancient world and how much power these kings had and how the Lord here is taking down and declaring his judgment against these pagan kings says a lot about the God we serve. And so uh, he tells him that the Persian Empire will come. And indeed, the Persian Empire does come in history and take out the Babylonian kingdom. All right. So, uh, yeah. So Babylon gets taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire, as Daniel has said. And now there's a new sheriff in town, Daniel chapter six. And so my man, his name is King Darius. Right. And so Darius appoints these leaders over the land, satraps and administrators, which include Daniel. Right. Now, the other administrators get jealous of Daniel, right? Because Daniel has favor with Darius. He's much like Joseph. Remember, we talked about that because of the spirit that's in him and that Darius, listen, Darius sets Daniel in charge of everything. And he's essentially a prime minister of the whole land. And it says this in uh, verse four, the administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. Check this. But they couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't find no charge or corruption. Um, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. So my man is blameless. There wasn't anything to be said about him. Therefore, they made up something to condemn him about. Now, they're going to create this law, right? Them and the other officials, they will create this law that made King, that they made King Darius sign saying that anyone who worshiped anybody other than the king will be thrown in a lion's den. Now, they know my man Daniel's faith. They know he's faithful to the Lord. And so they create this law to say, oh, like, let's create this law and make the king sign it. Now, in those days, and the text is clear about this, um, a law in the Persian Empire was irrevocable. So once something is codified into law, you can't go back and change it. Right. It can't be vetoed. Right. It's 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 in law. And so they create the law. He signs it. And now Darius's faith or excuse me, uh, Daniel's faith is illegal. Right. It's illegal. And this is what we mean, fam, when we say that injustice can be institutional and systemic, right? Discrimination and oppression here is written into an ancient law, right? So that Daniel's worship of God is uh, illegal. And Daniel shows us, I think the lesson we learned is that Daniel shows us that living faithfully in exile may mean Right. That you don't compromise or it often does mean that you don't compromise the worship of the God of the universe and you fight not to break his commands, even when it means, at least in Daniel's context, breaking the law. Right. And so Daniel is thrown into a lion's den. He's thrown into a lion's den. And it's interesting because the king has this uneasy conscience. And when the king comes to check on Daniel later. Look what Daniel says. He says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. And it's interesting, too, because uh, Daniel does not die and he's left for dead. Right. He's left for dead in this pit with a stone closed over it. And by every uh, natural conception he should not be alive. But we learn that God vindicates the righteous. Right. And 
the innocent. All right. And once again, for the second time in the story, life comes out of the place where the death is most expected. Right. God saves him. And at the end of this chapter, Darius is going to praise the God of Israel. Right. So Daniel seven comes. And again, it marks the shift in the book. And as I said yesterday, first six chapters are narrative. Last six are these visions of the future. And so uh, this apocalyptic literature, right, it, it shows uh, um, that, um, you know, suffering and oppressed people, right, people who were in captivity to a foreign power powerful ruler, right? Apocalyptic literature reminded the audience that there was a higher power in charge and that the higher power, higher power was on their side. And that one day in a final event of judgment, all will be made right. The days uh, would come to an end and the kingdom of God will be revealed. And so these future and unfolding events of redemptive history are given to uh, God's people in these visions, right? Uh, other, again, other prophetic or other apocalyptic literature, uh, it, our texts like Ezekiel and Revelation. All right, so Daniel 7, one of the most important chapters in your Bible. Daniel basically has this vision of four beasts. They symbolize four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, uh, the, Greco, the, the, the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. They're all eventually destroyed, right? And Daniel tells us by who in verses 11 through 13 and verse 14. Look what he says. He says, um, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory in a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. I think it's pretty clear from the context and just knowing the Bible that uh, Christ Jesus takes these terms and applies them to himself, right? He is the son of man. He is the one who comes on the clouds of heaven. He is the one who is with the ancient of days, God, the father. He is the one given a dominion and a glory and a kingdom, right? And every people, tongue and nation will bow down to Christ. All the kingdoms of the earth will bow down to him. And I love what he says at the end. He says this in 27. He says, uh, the kingdom, dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under all of the heaven will be given to the people. Look, given to the people, <laughs> the holy ones of the most high, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will serve and obey him. In other words, he's saying this kingdom that Christ brings um, definitely defeats the kings, kingdoms of the world. But the kingdom is also for the people, right? We will reign with Christ. That's the whole point of this passage. That's the whole point of the end of Revelation. It's not just that our king comes back. It's that we get to reign with the king when he comes back. And the kings of this earth will one day be forced to bow at the feet of this king, at the king of kings, and at the feet of the king's people. And so imagine, again, the ancient context to people who are in oppression, to people who are in Babylon. This was a message of hope and comfort, right? That God was going to send his Messiah, right? And that these kingdoms of this world would stand no chance to the work of the Messiah. Daniel 8, last one here. Daniel finally sees another vision. And it's a vision of this ram, right? This ram and a male goat. And the ram represents, once again, a kingdom that is the Medo-Persian Empire, right? And the goat, the Greeks. The goat has these different horns that grow up. And these are different kings that come from this one empire, right? So the Greeks uh, have this empire and then they have a succession of kings that comes from them. And however, 
there's this little horn, right? This specific little horn that grows and will wreak a ton of havoc, particularly on God's people. He would cause deceit to prosper, talking about the horn, through his cunning and by his influence. And in his own mind, he will exalt himself. He will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even uh, stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be broken, not by human hands. What's the text saying? Even in the midst of all uh, and through all of his darkness and oppression and evil, he would eventually and suddenly be broken. And it's not randomly, not through assassination, not through uh, a political scheme or regime or battle, but because of God himself. This prophesies historical events that we can find and read about in the uh, apocryphal literature. First uh, Maccabees, um, the time between the Testaments, what is um, an, an event called the Maccabean Revolt, where the people of God were being persecuted. And Ju a guy named Judas Maccabeus uh, stops the uh, Greek Empire from he halts the persecution uh and, and and saves uh many of god's people um but i think the main thing is clear our hope is that the places where we are as broken and as corrupt as they can be do not have the last word right they don't have the last word regardless of how loud and how powerful they may be right the king of kings rules over them and will one day fully and finally triumph and reign forever and ever and in this we as God's people hope. Let's pray. God, we ask for grace. Uh, we, we pray that we will be comforted by the hope that is uh, that is promised in your scriptures uh, and the promise of a king, not just coming uh, to serve us, Lord, uh, but a king that is coming to reign in power and majesty, Lord. I pray that we will long for the day when our king 